Good morning. If you open your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. While you're turning there, I'm not sure why the others couldn't swim the church like we did. But uh, nonetheless, or they could have called Cole or Tom and the boats could have picked them up. But uh, either way. Luke chapter 1. Let's bow to the Lord. Father, again, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to gather here to worship you. And Father, we do desire to do that, to worship you, to give you all the adoration and the respect and and really the love that you absolutely deserve. But Father, even though we know it's our duty to do so, and even though we want to do that, we know, Father, we don't always do that well or to the best of our ability. We're easily distracted. Uh, We can think about other things, a drop of a hat, and lose our focus. Father, we pray that you would help us to do what we want to do, what we ought to do. Father, as always, we thank you for your word, and we ask as we look into the life of Mary, we pray, Lord, that you will instruct us in the way of righteousness, and that, Father, we will be encouraged, and we seek to do better in our lives as believers, that we may represent you well to a lost and dying world. We do thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How would this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So this week and next week, I want to spend some time talking about Mary. And the way we're going to do that is I want to begin by talking about this, and that is when it comes to just the subject of spirituality. A lot of confusion about spirituality. There are various titles given to it. You, can, you want to look all this stuff up, you can. There's creation spirituality. There's feminine spirituality. There's even secular spirituality. There's a proliferation of all kinds of seminars and articles and books that talk about how that we actually reveal this great interest people have in spirituality. Various perceptions of spirituality are very, I think, ill-conceived. And, and indistinct. The main ways that spiritual growth is advocated include the following. Deep breathing, Mongolian chanting, seeking jolts of psychic energy from crystals, and, and you can look this up, there's a magnetic helmet that you can put on. It's called the God helmet. And they claim that this will induce mystical states that will equal that of Paul's experience on the road to Damascus. I haven't looked in to see if I can buy one of those, but uh, 
it would be interesting. Maybe we could all go in together and then buy one and we could take turns to see if that works. But there's clearly a lot of options when it comes to various kinds of spirituality. And as a result of that, there is clearly a lot of confusion. So with all that, what we need, and of course God knew, has known this all along, we, we need access to the lives of people that are reliable, that are authentic in their relationship or experience of God. Lives, I think, that will bring clarity. And in the Gospel of Luke, he does that. He introduces us to individuals who respond appropriately to the revelation of God. And our focus is going to be Mary of Nazareth. The word spirituality is a kind of a recent word. As it continues to become more and more popular, which has happened over the past, I don't know, 60, 70 years, the usage of the word has become increasingly obscure, not clear. Spirituality is viewed as an aspect of human nature, like sexuality, which ought to be fostered to enhance personal fulfillment. I never quoted this man before. His name is Jonathan Perritt. He's the director of a group called Friends of the Earth. And he says that when it comes to being spiritual, it's defined this way. It is that aspect of human nature that allows people to transcend the limitations of their material world, to seek meaning in that which cannot be defined materialistically or scientifically. In the church, the term can evoke a, a, a large number of various types of associations from mystical revelations to being a very pious, maybe charismatic individual who expresses warm or experiences warm religious feelings. So it's vital to our discussion of spirituality to be grounded in biblical revelation. Christian spirituality is rooted in the revealed word of God. True spirituality is grounded in the promises of God and the Holy Spirit. It celebrates the glory of God, not the self-aggrandizement of the creature. And so what we have here, beginning in Luke chapter 1, as I read, we have the Annunciation. The Annunciation made to Mary is clearly about Christ. Luke reveals the identity and the role of this Christ child. The narrative makes it abundantly clear and evident that Jesus is the Davidic Messiah, the Son of God. As the Son of David, Jesus is proclaimed to be the fulfillment of messianic expectations. And according to the second part of the announcement, Jesus is not only the Son of God in a messianic sense, he is the Son of God by virtue of his spirit conception. But if the Annunciation is primarily about Christ, it is also secondarily about Mary. Just as Jesus comes from God, so he also comes from humanity. And Luke, I believe, very consciously portrays Mary of Nazareth as God's highly favored one who was chosen for the supreme honor of bearing the Messiah. Now remember, Mary is not selected primarily on the basis of her own personal piety. She is singled out for her appropriate response to God's grace. She's very attentive. In fact, she has a very attentive reception to the divine word which is given to her. And she has a, a humble agreement as to how it distinguishes her. And she reveals herself to be an exemplary believer. Remember that when all this is going on, there's all kinds of discussions as to how old Mary was. Most believe she's a teenager. She's not 19. She's not 18. She's not 17. She might be 16. She might even be 15. I know in our society we freak out when we think about 15-year-old girls being pregnant and getting married, but that was, which is a very common thing uh, back then. In fact, uh, if your daughter was not married by, uh, I think, 18 or 19, you were worried um, that it was just never going to happen. A uh, very different view. So it's not some weird thing that's going on here. 
But what I do think is unique that we must take note of is Mary is unbelievably spiritually mature. She is very well grounded in the Old Testament. That is seen by how she responds. And then later on, we, we're not going to read that today, but in, in what we call Mary's song. There's a, there's a, a theological depth to this girl. It really is incredible when we think about it. So there's several things that we need to think about when we look at this. Number one, I do think we need to probably have a rising standard of what we expect out of teenagers. Amen. Now, it's not going to just happen because we want it to. All right? you know, as parents, parents need to kind of invest in their children spiritually. That's important. It can happen. It does happen. We, we've seen it in the lives of some. That doesn't that all mean that they're going to be scholars. Mary wasn't running around. She wasn't teaching Sunday school and, you know, giving speeches and seminars. She wasn't doing any of those things. She's living her life. But this lady, she thought in theological terms. Because not about you, but if suddenly an angel shows up and starts discussing things with you, her, her just response to that, she's like wondering, well, what kind of greeting is this? Like, she's thinking it through. Like, you know, why, why is this angel talking like this? Like, I, you know, she doesn't know if there's judgment coming her way and God's kind of saying, okay, get ready because it's coming down on you because you've done wrong. She doesn't know any of those things. She says, this angel starts talking to her about these things and there's nothing that's recorded that makes it sound like she's like stunned. She's tracking with what the angel says. She's right there in line with what's going on. She's not having to, you know, pull out her iPhone and start Googling terms and trying to figure out what's happening. She, she's already right in step with the angel. It's very easy to overlook because it's not really stated, but I think it's clear in her response. Of course, I, I think that maybe not just we should have a, a rising expectation of what teenagers can accomplish or be spiritually. Uh, it probably puts maybe a lot of us as adults to shame. How would we have responded to this kind of a thing? And so Mary's a very unique in that sense when it comes to who she is. If we summarize Luke's impression, the virgin conception of Jesus must have constituted for Mary the beginning of her confrontation with the mysterious plan of God embodied in the person of her son. In Jesus' lifetime and after the resurrection, Mary responds to this confrontation as a true disciple that's obedient to the word of God. From the first moment that the grace of God was proclaimed, it begins to attract disciples, and Mary basically is the first one. Luke emphasizes from the beginning to the end that God has taken the initiative in the miraculous conception of Jesus. Mary was not running around looking for God, offering her body to be used in some great redemptive enterprise. The angel of Gabriel came to her, sent from God to this virgin. He came to her and he began to speak. So Luke stresses that God's redemptive acts take place within a history of salvation. When you look at what he says Christ is going to be called and what Christ is going to be. That's all rooted in the history of the covenants in the Old Testament. That's why Mary's tracking. She, she's been taught the Old Testament. She understands that history of Israel. She understands from Genesis to Malachi, their order is different, but she understands what's happening. And so she understands son of David. She knows what that means. She understands that. She knows what Messiah is. And so she, she's getting all these things right away. Remember that when it comes to the end, she really only has one question. 
which if you think about it, it's astonishing. There's a ton of questions somebody might ask. She just asked one. I'm not married. How's this going to happen? And then the angel explains it to her. Nothing else in the message needs to be explained. This version is engaged to a man of the house of David. So we have God breaking into history. It takes shape here in this context of messianic expectation. As we mentioned before, there are at least three different kinds of ideas about the Messiah, and there was an expectation, a longing for, and a looking for the Messiah to come. Remember what we read, what was read this morning by Glenn. There is this old man in the temple who, who is he's waiting for the Messiah. He, this old man understands what the Messiah is going to come and do. And so when Jesus is brought and he's, and he's dedicated the temple, and we see what this man says, we can see again what he says is rooted in the Old Testament, but there was a sense of expectation he had in his lifetime, and he was waiting to die, basically, and wanted to not die till he could at least see the promise of God. And he was holding him in his hands. Not only is the Davidic lineage referred to here, but all the allusions to the Old Testament that reflect God's continuing faithfulness to his, to his covenant people. At the same time, God's initiative is expressed in new ways. He sends his angel to Nazareth. It is a very insignificant village. It finds no mention in the Old Testament. It is not mentioned in the Talmud. It is not mentioned by Josephus. Gabriel is not sent to Jerusalem, the religious center of the Jews, but to a town in Galilee. This is a region of the Gentiles. Moreover, he doesn't appear to a king. He doesn't appear to a religious leader, but to an adolescent girl, basically. That's who he appears to. He then honors this young woman, Mary, with the same address, that of favored one, which has been extended by God to only a few. A few foundational figures of the Old Testament. Some scholars have argued that only Mary, Noah, and Moses have ever been categorized as being highly favored ones. That's a very unique company. So Mary is to be held in very high esteem. Mary's role in the virgin conception shows that God works through human instruments. It's always been that way. God's going to bring these things about through human beings. There's a mysterious interplay between the divine initiative and human compliance. And it's articulated in this way. And I got this from one of the commentators who said this. The scene ends with Luke's portrayal of Mary as an example of how God can make out of a human nothingness an exalted instrument. A mere Jewish virgin expecting to be married to her fiancé Joseph are unrecognized individuals in this period of Israel's history. She has become the favored one, graced by God's election, and called to be the mother of the Davidic Messiah, the Son of God. The reversal of roles announced by the heavenly messenger elicits from her a cooperative response. She is the handmaiden of the Lord, the servant of Yahweh, his obedient, fully responsive instrument in the birth and destiny of the child who is to bring salvation, forgiveness of sins, and peace to humanity in a new way. Thus God, the Lord of history, manifests his choice of an instrument to realize his plan of salvation. And Mary's proclamation becomes the expression of her willing acceptance in that realization uh, and her cooperation with divine grace. If you would look back at your Bibles, we'll look when Mary goes to visit uh, Elizabeth, and we'll talk about that for a few moments. In those days, Mary, verse 39, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to uh, a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. 
And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What this passage does here is it does draw together the independent birth accounts of John the baptizer, really, and Jesus. We have the unborn John leaping for joy, really in a prophetic witness to Jesus' presence. And both women burst out in exhilaration at what God is doing. Another commentator said this, Well, you have this circle of blessing. A circle of blessing and praise flows between heaven and earth. Gabriel blesses Mary. Mary greets Elizabeth. Elizabeth blesses Mary. And Mary, in turn, rejoices in the Lord. And so there's all this joy and praise that's going on here. Again, the main significance of the passage is about Christ, though the revelation of Jesus and Mary's human response are closely interwoven. The visit of the two women together serves to confirm the prophetic message concerning their respective pregnancies. Both are miraculous conceptions. Both are cause for rejoicing. Yet Mary's child is clearly preeminent. The unborn Jesus receives homage from John's fetal jump, when, which foreshadows their future relationship of John heralding the, mess, the Messiah's presence. Luke calls attention to this young Galilean girl of extraordinary faith. Having received God's good news concerning the divine conception of Jesus, Mary of Nazareth, again, exemplifies the appropriate response to God's revelation. In fact, this is held in stark contrast to Elizabeth's husband, husband Zechariah. When he was told the news that his wife was going to have a baby, he questioned God on this in a very different way than Mary did. And so he was given a sign. He was struck mute. He was no longer able to speak. In fact, he doesn't speak again until he writes on a tablet the name of what his son was going to be called once um, uh, he was born. Because no one in the family had the name of John. And when Elizabeth said his name would be John, nobody wanted the name of John. And so they turned to him. So he wrote on a slate, and then from then, his tongue was loose and he was able to speak. Mary is, is set in opposition to him in this way. Zachariah is this guy who's been serving in the temple for decades. This is a man who, in essence, has known the Lord for decades. And yet here's this young girl who, by her age, can have only known the Lord for a while. And yet she exercises much more faith than he does. She instantly believes what she's told. And that's the thing that's important. She believes what she's told. The essence of faith, or maybe one of the aspects of faith we could say, is this. We believe what we're told. Meaning what we're told from the word of God. I believe what God says. That's what faith, I'm exercising trust in what God says. That's faith. That's what faith is. I accept it. I accept the whole thing. All of it. There's many things I don't even understand fully, but I accept it. It is true. That's not foolishness. Because we're not putting our faith and trust in the words of a failed or a flawed man or woman. This is the word of God. This, the word has been proven to be true and trustworthy in many ways. This is, we're standing on solid ground when we do this. So it's not foolishness. It is not weak. It is not narrow-minded. It is not some, what, what a simpleton does. No, this is a, a profound trust 
and what God has said. And Mary is living proof of that. This mature young woman has accepted the full responsibility of giving birth and raising the Messiah. I don't think she sat there and said, you know, I thought I might get picked for this. And I've been thinking about it and planning it out. No, she just embraces the responsibility. The only way she can do that is either she has unbelievable self-confidence and arrogance, or she just simply trusts God. God doesn't make mistakes when he makes a choice. He chose her. He went to the trouble to tell her what was going on by sending Gabriel. So there's really not much that God's going to leave the chance. And she embraces it. And she believes what he says. That, that's what it is. It's incredible that this is taking place. She recognizes with overwhelming gratitude her own blessedness by God. And she responds with great joy, which overflows in ecstatic praise. In fact, in her song, she delights not only in the great things God has done for her personally, but she places her own astounding news in the wider context of the salvation of history, the salvation of history. She reveals, she revels in the God who has remembered his servant Mary and his servant Israel, thereby acting in accordance with his covenant promise. The way that she words things, you can tell she's not thinking individualistically. She recognizes herself as an individual, but she also loves her people, the people of Israel. She understands what God has promised Israel. She understands what all those things mean. She has embraced that, that that's the group she identifies with. So even though she knows that she is blessed, and this is, a, this is an incredible gift and honor that she has, she's not thinking about how it exalts her. She immediately points to God and exalts him. Raymond Brown says this, the primary message is centered on the conception of Jesus as Messiah and God's son and what he will accomplish by way of salvation for those who depend on God. Nevertheless, exhibiting true Christian instinct that the gospel is not good news unless there is someone to hear it, Luke presents Mary as the first to hear and accept it and then proclaim it. Thus he holds her up as the first to and model disciple. So again, remember, there's not a long heritage of people who are in her position. She's the first. And her response is immediately without wavering, correct, and right in every way. It reveals her heart. What she does spontaneously helps us to see what's truly inside of her. We know that's true about human character, right? When, when, when the chips are down and you suddenly find yourself in a situation where where something happens, your initial response reveals where your heart really is. You know how it is when you get angry and we snap at somebody and we say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, well, we're, we're sorry that it came out. But that can only come from what already exists on the inside. So that reveals where we are. And maybe I'm not as far along as I thought I was. Or maybe I'm farther along than I thought I was. So again, what she does is, is spontaneous. There was no warning there wasn't like a dream she had, and the dream didn't say, now you need to get ready, because an angel's going to come talk to you, and you need to be prepared. That's not what was going on. It was off the cuff. I can't help, this is what I thought of the moment I was, when I was thinking about this. I think she was from South Carolina, but I'm not sure. I think it was a Miss America contest, and the contestant was asked a question about maps and education. She clearly had no clue what she was talking about. She was not ready. And she, the first thing she says was other people around the world don't have maps. They don't know how to read maps. 
We need to provide maps. And I, I can't go on. It was, I mean, feel bad for her because it was just dumb. Right? That's how people respond sometimes when you're put on the spot. But not Mary. And this is much more significant than being at a beauty pageant, being asked about maps. This is an announcement again about giving birth to the Messiah who was going to be the savior of the world. Luke highlights Mary as an exemplary believer, but he does, I think, guard against what has happened in history. You know, where Mary is worshiped. I've said before that when we talk about Mary, we never refer to her as the Virgin Mary. We don't talk about the Virgin Mary unless you're speaking specifically about when she gave birth to Christ. Once she gave birth to Christ, we no longer call her the Virgin Mary. Catholics do that. We don't. They believe and teach that she remained a virgin for the rest of her life. That's untrue, but that's what they teach. We have high respect for her, but we don't, we don't venerate her in a sense that, that, she's a, that she's a saint in the sense that she's above others, because she's not. Now, she is incredibly mature. I, I believe that we should hold her up as an example and when we examine her life and examine her character, this is, a, this is a tough lady. I mean, she's going to go through a bunch of stuff in her life with, her, with what her son is and what he says and what he does. She's going to experience an incredible amount of pain and suffering through all of this. She's on board with this. Mary is hailed in Luke chapter 1, verse 42. It says, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So what's clear about that is even though she's blessed, the focus is on who she's carrying. It's the Christ child who's to be worshipped. She, she expresses her own blessedness and a praise of God who acts on behalf of the poor and the humble. It's, it's a condition of which she's a primary representative. She was poor and humble. She wasn't rich. She and her, she and her fiancé were dirt poor, to say the least. So ultimately, it is about God. Mary herself, the lowly, the hungry, Israel, his chosen servant, all appear in her song as merely the objects of his grace, as witnesses to what God delights to do for those who honor him. So again, the ground of blessing pronounced upon Mary is not performance, but acceptance. Mary is blessed because she's a person of faith. She is praised not because of any special quality in her, but because of her trust in the action of God. Mary is not separated from the rest of humanity by her faith, but by being the woman through whose body the humanity of God comes to a sinful world, she is one with humanity. Many have noted that God reveals himself primarily in story form, and that's what we have when we come to the time of Christmas. We all are, it's all about the story. The preaching of the early Christian church was never about an argument for the existence of God or an admonition to follow the dictates of some common human conscience. Now, the early church, when they preached, it was primarily and profoundly a simple recital of the great events connected with the historical appearance of Jesus Christ and a confession of what had happened to the community of his disciples. That's why, on one hand, for you and I, sharing our faith and witnessing really is something anyone and everyone can do. You don't have to be an apologist. You don't have to be like those guys who have all of these incredible intellectual arguments for the existence of God. There are some people who do that, and they do that well, and, and we're grateful. But witnessing is primarily about this. Our sharing our story 
and how our story was affected by the interaction of God's story on our life. Jesus, God sending his son Jesus into the world to save me. My life was on this path till I met the Lord. Now my life is on this other path. Everything in my life now is changed and is going in a particular direction because of Christ and his ongoing story in my life and in your life. We all know the story of the birth of Christ. We know the story of the death and burial of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. It's the story. You need to get it right, but that's the story. And that's what it's about. God does not come with a particular philosophy, though there is a Christian philosophy. He doesn't come with a list of moral imperatives, though there are imperatives. But he comes with a story to live and tell and one in which God desires our participation. God wants us to be a part of his story. He wants That's what it means to be part of God's program, a part of God's kingdom. It's his story. The story finds the climax, or its climax, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God impersonally performs and perfects God's saving purposes for humanity. God reveals, reveals himself to us in narrative form. Our lives take shape and meaning in narrative form. Biblical spirituality, then, to go back to what we started with, involves the intertwining of God's story and our personal story. The Christian faith finds its fundamental expression, not in propositional truth, but in personal relationship. So biblical spirituality is not to be defined in pedantic argument, but in the ardent living color of real life. So we can speak of what Christ means to me. Right? It doesn't mean personal fulfillment, though there is that. What it means is I was separated from God. I was a rebel. I was living in rebellion. I was doing things my own way, and that's not the right way. I was going the wrong way. And the Lord transformed my life. God didn't come down and give me a bunch of morals to follow. Though, in saving me, my heart changes, therefore my morals change. The desires of my heart change. But that's what it is. So even if you're not sure what to share with someone else when it comes to sharing the gospel, just tell them what the Lord did for you. You know that, or you should know that. That's how it begins. The starting point for a biblical view of spirituality lies in God's revelation of himself. God revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ, and his invitation for us to participate freely in the unfolding drama of creation and salvation. In Mary of Nazareth, then, we identify one who has played a critical role in the story of salvation. She is one who epitomizes a life of compliance with divine purposes. No other person in history has experienced the agony and the ecstasy in relationship with Jesus as did Mary of Nazareth. No one else on earth shared the depth of intimacy she knew with Jesus and his mysterious conception, his lowly birth, his unpretentious childhood, turbulent ministry, gruesome death, and astonishing resurrection. While being fully human with all the frailty and pain and confusion that entails, she nonetheless remained faithful to her son from beginning to end. We don't think of her in those terms sometimes. She was faithful to her son, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure there were times of misunderstanding along the way, but there's that with every human disciple. But the last glimpse that we get of Mary is significant. She is with Jesus' disciples in the upper room 
in constant prayer. After the crucifixion and death and burial of Jesus, that's where she is. She's with the other disciples. She is open to God. She is obedient to God, just as she was in the very beginning. It truly is remarkable. Through all those years and all that she had seen and heard, she knew who Jesus was, and she was faithful to the end. It was never about herself. Absolutely incredible. We should hold her up as a great woman of faith, a great person of faith. We should never again doubt the role of women in faith. Yes, the roles are different than men, but when it comes to being faithful to God, we should never doubt that God only accomplishes his purposes through men because it's untrue. In fact, if you remember, my favorite phrase comes from Arnold Frutenbaum when he talks about when Jesus Christ was hanging on the death, hanging on the cross and dying, that the only ones who showed up at the cross, except for John, were the women. Because all the other men were hiding. And that's the group that God was going to build the church on. The men in hiding. We don't have a great beginning. We need to have women to help us along the way, I think. And if we have women like Mary, there's no conflict. There's just great praises to God for his goodness to us. So I trust that during this Christmas you'll think about Mary of Nazareth. We'll cover a few more things next week about Mary of Nazareth and who she is and what she exemplifies for us. But she is to be upheld with great honor. What a great thing we can share with others about Mary, about the depth of Mary, the breadth of Mary, that she wasn't just some stooge uh, and had a minor part in the play. She had a speaking part. That was her important role. She had a speaking part. Because not only did she declare what the angel had declared to her, she was the one who probably spoke to Jesus the most until he went on his ministry. That's pretty incredible to think about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you so much for Mary. Clearly, Father, you knew what you were doing when you picked her to give birth to your son, Jesus. No one would have imagined that this young woman was such a strong woman of faith at such a young, tender age. One who was without hesitation, willing to obey anything and everything you said. Father, we ask that you would help us to imitate that kind of faith. To be willing to obey anything and everything you say. To declare simply what God has done and what God is doing. And then, the, and then to live consistently, submitting ourselves to the word of God, as she did, from the beginning all the way until the end. And that regardless of how bleak it may look, when she gathered with those disciples, knowing that her son was buried in a tomb, probably like the rest of them, unsure as to what was going to happen next, yet she was faithful and was not trusting what her eyes were seeing, but she was trusting in you. And Father, we ask you to help us to be the same. Father, for those who do not know Christ here this morning, we pray again that your spirit would prick their conscience and they would recognize that they are far from the heart of God. And Lord, that from the very beginning, you did not come to the rich, to the powerful, to the influential and all the rest. That your concern is for all men, including the common man, the regular individual. And you've come because you love them. You want to save them from their sin and keep them for yourself. 
Help us, Father, to be strong and to be committed to you in obedience throughout this season. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.